The story of amazing love, absolutely, that is truth. Kids, you're dismissed. Thank you, guys. Today, we're going to talk about the coming of the Word. We are in the first chapter of John, if you don't mind turning there. The coming of the Word. Can everybody hear me all right? I can be louder. Let's talk about this. You know, the power of a word. Have you guys ever really thought about that? The power that is in a word or words. With just one word, you can bring a smile to someone's face, or you can bring them to tears. One word could have consequences on a person for the rest of their lives. Family, I can recall two different times in my life from two different people, and we're talking 25 plus years ago, that the words still today haunt me and hurt me. And this was 25 plus years ago. Words are strong. We can build up a person with just a word, and we can destroy a person with just a word. It's a powerful thing. Using words right now, I'm going to communicate this sermon to you. And men, without words, our wives couldn't tell us what to do, right? And without words, we couldn't get the last word in, which is, yes, dear. Am I right? So, yeah, words are powerful. Yeah. We express what we feel inside. We express our feelings, our emotions with words. Sometimes we can't even convey those with words, but we try. We try. You know, sometimes we have trouble with our words. They don't match up with another's. We, we don't speak the same way. I think about our, our precious missionaries and the language barrier they face. You know, our missionaries, they, they travel to a people group, a particular people group, and they invest themselves in this people group by learning their words, their language, so that they can convey the gospel message using their words. It's a task. It's a tough thing. You know, we come to know people through our words, don't we? We do. And, you know, we have come to learn to walk away from people when we use their words. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this expression, um, I liked him until he opened his mouth. You guys ever heard that? Yeah? I think that applies to probably some people in our lives somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. Words, man. You know, although our words hold great power to build up and tear down, more powerful than these is the Word. And what is the Word? Well, we're not talking about what are we, Christians. We're talking about who is the Word. We have the Bible. We have the Word of God at our fingertips. I mean, we have the recorded words spoken by God to us. We can read it and hear God speak to us through these pages. God made His clearest communication to us through the Word. And we have come to understand the Word as Jesus. And you know what Jesus is? He is God's ultimate communication of truth about Himself. If you really look at Jesus, 
So church family, as we draw closer and closer to Christmas Day, let's talk about the coming of the Word because the Word of God is Jesus Christ. So if you're in John, let's just look at the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. These are five powerful verses that start off this book. So John the disciple, the author of this book, not John the Baptist, who we will be reading about in our next section here. We're talking about John the Evangelist. He's bringing up some pretty gigantic subjects right off the bat in these verses that we just read. So first, let's talk about the creation account. Because he says, in the beginning was the Word. He goes right there. In the beginning was the Word. Now, this opening phrase takes us all the way back to Genesis 1.1. And what does Genesis 1.1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we know that Jesus was already there. He could not have been created because He existed before creation. He was always there. He has always been. However, we know the first tick of the clock started, don't we? In the beginning, time started, that first tick. Now, what's interesting, as we move into verse 3, we are going to find a much deeper understanding of what is happening in the beginning after that very first tick of the clock. What is happening? All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. I think of natural selection. I think of people who claim, lay claim to random processes. Those ideas have to be thrown out. They have to be thrown out. First, John is indicating that God created, that God created by speaking his creation into existence. That's power. Speaking creation into existence. And Jesus was the Word through whom God made all creation. That is something. Second, John is telling us that God, through the Son, is responsible for all there is. Nothing just created itself, family. Nothing just walked onto the scene Nothing just entered this world apart from the sovereign purpose of God and His creative order. I know there's people out there that believe that that actually happens, but no. By design, by His creative order, were all things made. Do you mean even things that we haven't discovered in the bottoms of our seas? Yes, I do. All things were made. Now, we are left knowing this, and i got to repeat it. I've got to repeat it. We're left knowing that all was made through Jesus, and without Jesus, nothing was made. The world should learn that. So when we read the word, word, W-R-D, capital W, word, we are talking about the logos. 
don't know if you've ever heard that word. This is a way of referring to Jesus kind of as the Old Testament writers did, as John here is doing. Here's this term. It's the ultimate word in divine reason. It's the ultimate word in the creative order. Speech, thought, reason, the principles, they're all related to the nature and function of Jesus, the mind of God, the logos. And John is using that right here over and over. Logos is also the second person of the Trinity. Now, we talked about the creation. We talked about the creative order as our first subject, but I've got to talk about Trinity because there's two reasons, huge reasons John is bringing this up right off the bat. Let's talk about the Trinity for a second because he declares this mystery in his text. In fact, I'm amazed. In the fewest words possible, John presents the Trinity Now, I'm going to give you my thing, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'd like to give you my example. I like to use this example with a lot of people, and I I like to refer to the disciples. See, the disciples walked with Jesus. They came to know that He was who He claimed to be, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. It was a real It was real. He was genuine. They came to know that. But while Jesus walked this earth and he walked with the disciples, Jesus taught them to glorify the Father. In fact, Jesus here was glorifying the Father. He was teaching them to pray to the Father, to turn to the Father, to rely on the Father. Jesus here. But then Jesus leaves. He ascends into heaven to be with the Father, but who does he send? He sends the Holy Spirit who indwells us. So you see God in all three persons because on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them. You see God in all three persons in the lives of the disciples. I like to use that example because it's a real-life example. These real men experience this. So we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see why that is so important here in a sec. By the way, I just want to explain something about the Trinity. It's relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit. They are in a relationship. The reason we enjoy marriage and family and friendship is because it's relationship by design. Godly design. That's why we enjoy it. And that's why we are enjoying and embracing our relationship with Christ. By design. Now, I have to reference this. The creation account that John talks about and the Trinity, they go hand in hand here. Especially when we're talking about the coming of the Word. Jesus, the Logos, He was there in the beginning. He was there in the beginning and all was made through Jesus. He was there, he pre-existence, and without Jesus, nothing was made because what? The Trinity, he was God. So we know he was there, and we know he was God. John tells us that right off the bat. And to capitalize on all things were made through him, he says, in him was life. Every creature, everything found life, and it finds life in 
the Word. That's where life is found. John is stating that creation and life come from God's direct activity in Christ. Now, we're building up to something here. In other words, folks, life was in Jesus, and light comes from this life. We just spoke of the creation story, so let's let's look back to it a little bit. Let's look back to the origin of light. He said, through the Logos, the spoken word, he said, let there be light. Now, this origin of light came from the very word of God. And what happened, church family? When he said, let there be light, there was light. Absolutely. So the light John speaks of is light itself, this light in Jesus, because there was light. He is the light. Now, this light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you want to know why? Because the darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness cannot understand it. Darkness will not prevail, though. How do we know this? Because we live in darkness, not you and I, but this world, it is darkness. Listen, even if the forces of darkness were to kill him, wouldn't he rise? Yes, because didn't he rise? Jesus rose. The forces of darkness did not prevail. Christ prevailed. So there is life in Jesus because he took life back in that tomb. So in in this life, it's the light of men. The light and life, they go hand in hand. It's the same thing. That light that, that we have inside us is because Jesus, it's our life. In fact, I'll prove it. John 12, 46 says this. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. We were all once in darkness. Did we remain there? No, because of what? Jesus coming into the world. We have to remember those words, especially at Christmas. He came into this world for you and I. So let's look at our next section of verses. If you're in first, uh, John chapter 1, let's look at 6 through 13 together. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was not in the world, excuse me, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This true light, Jesus. Now, he is the original light in which all light has its source. Looking back to verse 5 that we previously read, we see there's conflict between light and darkness. 
right? The light, of course, referring to God, referring to the eternal things, eternal life. And of course, the darkness referring to Satan, eternal death, that eternal separation from God. We see the conflict. See, this light shines and darkness is unable to put it out. When Jesus came into this world, darkness was unable to put that light, the true light, out. Can I tell you what kind of picture this is? Church family, this is a wonderful picture of salvation. As the true light enters into the dark heart of a sinner, you can see it happening. It's, we've experienced it. When the true light enters, darkness cannot overcome it. It's a wonderful picture of salvation. How do we know that Jesus is the light, though? How do we know? Well, John 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There he goes, summing up what we just talked about. Now, it's interesting. John the Baptist the last prophet of the Old Testament, if you will, because he came before Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist, he testified to this. John came to bear witness to this light. In a sense, you know what John was like? John the Baptist was like, well, relating to Jesus, it was like the moon relating to the sun, S-U-N, the sun in the sky. John was not the light, just like the moon is not the light. No, his witness and his testimony, they were reflecting Jesus, who was the light, like the sun. The sun is the source of light. I think we can all agree, maybe not today, but usually, right, that sun is bright. That is a source of light for this earth. We'd all agree to that. But the moon at night, it only reflects the light of the sun. It doesn't produce light itself, it's reflecting the light. Therefore, that moon is bearing witness and testimony to the light from the sun, and that's what John the Baptist was doing for Jesus. He was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, because we established that, in the beginning was the Word, right? The world was made through him. The world did not know him. Church, his own people didn't receive him. Well, when we talk about the true light, I do got to go over this. When we talk about the true light, which gives light to everyone in verse 9, we are speaking to the offer of salvation to give to everyone. It's the offer of salvation to everyone. Not that everyone will accept and receive this gift because we know that does not happen. It's the offer of it. See, the Bible says his own did not receive him. We see that in verse 11. His own did not receive him. But in verse 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John seems to be telling us 
that everything depends on how one responds to Jesus. See, there were Jews who believed and received him. There were. But the Jewish people as a whole did not. There were Gentiles who believed and received him, but not all Gentiles. So whether Jew or Gentile, this right to become a child of God was and is for those who are born of God. It's a new birth. But it's not about a bloodline. It's not about, it's not about a geological uh, 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 connection to uh, uh, an Israelite or, or a, gene, a, ge- a genealogical uh, descent from Abraham. Genealogy doesn't take place in this. It's not that. It's not about human effort through natural childbirth. It's not by my will or desire that it happens. It's not about who our parents are. I know a lot of people try to lay claim to these, but it's not. It's to all who receive and all who believe. The person who welcomes Jesus and responds in faith and obedience to him is a child of God, is born of God. So I tell you all of this. I tell you all this. We're building up to it because of this next verse, John 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the eternal Logos. Second person of the Trinity, who spoke everything we know into existence. Everything. The eternal Logos. Here is where John specifies that the Word is Jesus because it became flesh and He dwelt among us. This is where we find the message of Christmas because Christmas is about that day, and I say day as a time period, the period of Jesus, not as a particular time, day or night, but it is about the day when the Word became flesh and walked among His creation. That, to me, blows my mind when you begin to think about everything that John has already talked about. God himself, before creation, pre-existing, always eternal, right? Stepping into his own creation to save it from itself blows my mind, especially when we did not deserve that. Very undeserving. Let's continue. Look at your uh, Bibles, Bibles piece. We're going to look at verses 14 through 18. I want to read 14 again just because it's so, it's so important to, to where we're going. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he, come, <clears throat> excuse me, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. Our author today, John, he was an eyewitness, an eyewitness, guys, to the glory of Jesus. He refers to the glory that he has seen, that he has witnessed, the unique splendor in the life of Jesus, his teachings, his miracles, his transfiguration where he saw the glory of God, God radiate from within to the out, his transfiguration, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. John witnessed these things. He beheld that glory. The one and only son. Now, his sonship is different from ours. Of course it is. It's different because ours, it's different from ours being a child of God. Because his is eternal. His is of the same essence as the Father. It's equal. So it's a different sonship. It's taken us back to the creative order and the creative design that he spoke into existence. It's different in the fact that He was there in the first place as God, creator. So we have to understand, us being a child of God is completely different than the sonship of Jesus Christ. But it's important to understand a little bit where I'm going with this, because John testifies, John testifies to his preexistent, talk about John the Baptist, testifies to his preexistence and his preeminence. He ranks before me, John says. He surpasses me because he was before me. Now, listen. He is the Logos, the spoken word. He he is the glorious revelation of God. He displayed the fullness of grace and truth like waves continuing to come onto the shore. Everybody here has probably been to the beach. If you stand there, set your chair up, you watch the waves roll in one after the other. Ladies and gentlemen, look at that as grace upon grace upon grace, because that is what Jesus is doing, like waves continuing to come into the shore. You know, the Christian life is in a constant state of receiving this kind of grace from God, grace upon grace. And we have evidence of God's grace replacing another in each of our lives. Now, I'm going to tell you, the law was given through Moses. It was. But, and God being the God of Israel, I'm going to tell you right now, that was a privilege. It was a privilege. It was an honor for Israel to receive the law as his elect people. It was a privilege But the law only brought sin to consciousness. The law only brought brought attention to sin in the lives of the people. It revealed that there was a need for redemption. A need, not an answer. 
That's what the law did. But it was only a type. It was only a shadow of things to come. It typifies the reality of the gospel. See, it revealed the need where Jesus fulfilled the need. Jesus fulfilled the needs. Grace and truth came through Jesus. See, the Logos communicates the reality and the power in answering our sin problem. Jesus, the Logos, contributes in power in answering our separation from God. He corrects it. He restores it. It is fixed. Grace and, grace and truth. Two wonderful attributes of the divine character of God. And Jesus embodies these attributes as the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, He is indeed the ultimate expression of God's love. He is the ultimate expression of God's grace, His faithfulness, and unmerited favor towards His people. Even the very world that would reject Him, that would reject Him, He still showed this unmerited favor. So the Word, Jesus Christ, is superior to the law because He is the fulfillment of the law. Like going back to John the Baptist. He ranks before me. He surpasses me he, because He is before me. John is saying, listen, I have to fade away because he is the great one. He is the one. Just like the law had to fade because Jesus Christ's new covenant, that's the one. And I think there's power in understanding that, especially in the life of John the Baptist as he testifies to who Jesus is. It's amazing. John the Baptist was born first. John the Baptist's ministry started first. Jesus came next, yet he says, he's before me. See, John testifies to that. It's awesome. So yes, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Christ is superior to the law. And we are blessed because we are the receivers of grace and truth, which Jesus embodies. So in this last verse, 18, as Jesus entered this world in Bethlehem that first Christmas night, it helps us understand the reality of what's happening. John 1.18, let's read it again. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Now, we're, we're talking about the Christmas story here. Jesus is the only God the Bible's talking about. Jesus is the only God, right, who the only begotten, the unique, the one and only, at the Father's side. And what did Jesus, God himself, what did he do? He made him known. He made him known. What happened on Christmas Day? The Son has made the Father known. So the nature of the invisible Father is displayed in the Son. 
God has shown himself to us through the living word, the Logos, communicating truth about himself. This communication, this word is Jesus Christ. Now, listen, we hear God most fully through Jesus. We do. We know God most fully through Jesus. God entered his creation to save and redeem his creation. And, we didn't, and when he did this, the world was able to fully see God revealed through Jesus. I don't know if you've ever, I've been doing it a lot this week. I have a great nativity scene. Uh, in fact, Teresa Collins found this nativity scene at a garage sale. They were in boxes. I think the people were going to throw this stuff away. And she brought me all these boxes. It turned out there was an awesome nativity scene. And I often look at that nativity scene, even though it's incorrect, right? We know the wise men come much later. It's incorrect. I believe it was in a, in a rock formation where the stalls were built within the rock formation. I don't believe it was a man-made scene. But we get the picture of what the nativity scene is all about. Jesus entering this world. So I look at this little baby in this manger with Mary and Joseph standing there. You guys all know the nativity scene. You all have it at your house. We see it on cards we receive, see it in movies. But I kept looking at this little baby going, man, all of that in this small package God, we can't even grasp the greatness of God. It's overwhelming to think of all the attributes and just the, the activity and the intervention from God. It's overwhelming. And you look at the sensitivity scene and you go, but you came into this world and this is how you did it. We have to truly understand what happened when he entered his own creation. That's what this is about. So the Word, the Logos, the Creator of all life, the true light, all of this became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus has revealed and explained God to mankind. Hey, what is God like? What's God like? I mean, how does He act? How does He talk? Well, it's not such a mystery to us anymore. Because he was fully revealed to us in Jesus Christ. He has made him known. You know, Philip, Philip was one of his disciples. And he asked to see the Father to make him known. And you know what Jesus' response was? This is in John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What about this? John 12, 45. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. The direct and glorious revelation of God is seen in Jesus, who entered this world in an insignificant town in Bethlehem to a young girl, a virgin named Mary, Born in the stables. Man, what a gift. What a gift Jesus is. Let me ask you something. Would you give something so precious to people like us? Hmm? 
Think about it. If you bought something really expensive for your kid, you're like, man, I don't even want to give this to them. I know they're going to break it. Would you give something so precious to us? And let me ask you this. Would you and I be as generous as God is in giving so much to those who deserve so little? There's another question for you to ponder. I say this. I say let's join John the Baptist. Let's join John the Evangelist, our author, in bearing witness and testifying to this true light. Let us, along with them, behold the glory of Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, the one and only, the true light, the Logos, the creator of life. All of this is happening, folks. Let us bear witness and testify to this. Let us celebrate the coming of the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. Father, as we dive deeper into your Word, it is incredible everything that is happening when you enter this world. Father, when people realize that you are God and that you have always been and that you are in relationship with the Father and the Spirit and that you were there and spoke everything into existence, the very existence and creation you stepped into to save, it is profound. But that's Christmas. This is what we celebrate. This is who we celebrate. Because you fulfilled the law. You answered the sin problem. You were the correction to the mistake, to the great fall. You restored peace between us and God. You made a way for us to stand before God in heaven and be justified, to be made right in the eyes of God. You did all of this and it started with you entering your own creation to redeem us and save us from ourselves. So much is happening. But it's the coming of the Word. The Word of God was made manifest and dwelt among us. And we, Lord, we worship you right now. Jesus, we, just, we give you all the praise and honor. We worship you. We know who you are. And you are who we celebrate. Father, I pray that we're able to concentrate on this message for the rest of this Christmas season and here on after, Lord. I pray that we always realize that the spoken word, the spoken word, the Logos, entered creation to save it. Father, you, we belong to you, and we are grateful to belong to you. We are grateful to be called children of God. And it was be all because of you, your grace. And you communicated this truth to us you revealed it all in Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you for him. Oh, we thank you for Jesus. And this prayer, we pray in his name. Amen.